0: The Pep Guardiola era at Manchester City has generally been one of precision performance, a kind of dominance that looks easy, but is anything but. They've generally swept aside all comers in the Premier League, apart from Liverpool now and again. And last season, they finally achieved their holy grail of capturing the Champions League. But something of a treble winning hangovers kicked in, City find themselves off the pace in the Premier League title race after a run of four top flight games without it's a victory. So is the empire crumbling or is it just a blip? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No crumbling facades or declining stars in my top tipping team, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, it's worth bearing in mind that City have had an incredibly tough run of fixtures if you look at it, but we're simply not used to seeing them go this long without a win in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, um, we're not also used to seeing them get absolutely mullered in the way that they were in midweek by Aston Villa Um, that's the most one-sided match i've seen involving City or against City um, in the Premier League under Pep Guardiola Um, we talked previously about the significance of Rodri without him they do look rudderless in that midfield Uh, He contributes to so much, really, in all aspects, kind of mopping up the middle, setting the tempo, providing the link, orchestrating things from deep, as well as joining the attacks and and making a difference in the final third. But it can't all be down to just one player. Uh, He is back this weekend, which is obviously a huge bonus. But even with him, City haven't quite been themselves of late, and I'm not really keen to kind of write them off or sort of get engaged in any sort of crisis talk or stick the boot in because, you know, we've seen the the script many many times before. It's terrible. (laughs) That's some of the narrative that's been coming out this week. It's nonsense, really. We've seen this script many times before, really. And I think Emmett used the analogy on on Monday's podcast about a cat toying with a mouse, really. And I think that's pretty apt in in certain sections. Um, You know, they come to the party in, in the springtime, really, and they still are the best team in the land on their day. So, um You know, if we're being kind of glass half full, which I'm trying to be, they have been hit by a few kind of sucker punches of late. Um, I know they were dominated for the most part against Aston Villa. The winning goal does come from a deflection. They conceded three goals against Spurs from relatively low quality chances, which is a a bitter pill. Leipzig were incredibly clinical against them in the Champions League. Chelsea did rattle them, of course, um, but still conceding four goals was was extreme. And even against Liverpool, they were much the better side for for most of that match and. Perhaps a little bit of complacency in the second half set in, and but even still, you're, you're relying on Trent to score a you know a lovely finish from from outside the box. So, you know, before Villa, you could say they were conceding from almost every opportunity they were giving away to their opposition, um, which isn't sustainable. So it should turn at some stage, whether it will or not this weekend. You'd expect it to, but, you know they're playing Luton away. But Luton do get the extra day recovery, and I think that's really needed because they emptied the tank against. Arsenal on Tuesday night. Um, they really went um, to hell and back really to put Arsenal under pressure and they came so close to getting something out of it. It was heartbreaking for them. In the end, um, night and day really between the performance they put in against Brentford last weekend. Uh, Rob Edwards was understandably quite enthused by his team's reaction to that defeat, uh, but obviously disappointed by the by the outcome. But um yeah, if we're going to be ruthless about it, Luton didn't really deserve to be one goal off Arsenal because um, whilst they hassled and harried brilliantly, um, their goals, well, at least two of them, came from set pieces. David Rea made an error for, for the other. Uh, they scored three goals from six attempts. They only had three shots from inside the box. Arsenal had 23 shots, 16 inside, 16 inside the box, and the total touches in the box count read Luton 7, Arsenal 52 at full time. And you know, If you simulate all the opportunities in that match millions of times, Arsenal basically win that game 85% of the time so there wasn't a huge amount of luck really involved overall but I just thought it would be worth mentioning something that Stinch talked about on the Monday show as well um, he said coming into the season and quite rightfully some people were unfairly writing Luton off as being kind of cannon fodder dubbed the worst team ever to play in the Premier League before a ball was kicked and that was disrespectful and quite moronic too because anyone who'd seen EFL teams coming up or, or seen any of the championship last season, New Luton were a, a well-built, organized outfit who would um, be competitive for the most part, but ultimately probably fall short because of their lack of budget and, yeah. and player quality. But um, throughout the summer, we saw Sheffield United completely unravel. Uh, and At the start of the season, we saw the Blades kicking off with a worse team that won promotion and Luton with a stronger side. So that togetherness, that motivation and the plan of action, I think Luton have does lend itself to be competitive in these big games, as we've seen against Liverpool and Arsenal to a certain extent as well. Tottenham too, obviously the first half there was quite one sided and Spurs had a red card then, but yeah, I, I'm not going to kind of piggyback on Stinch too much here, but um I haven't really got a major bet on this match, but if, if I was to be involved, I would look at the Asian handicap, which is something he did uh, against Manchester against uh, Arsenal in midweek. Um, he talked about an Asian handicap of two against Arsenal, which comfortably covered. It's two and a quarter um, against Man City, so um, you need City to win by three or more goals not to make money, and that's that's a big, big handicap for a Premier League match um, at this stage of the season, especially for a team playing away from home. And even if you look down the, the records recently of Man City away not too many times they went by three goals or more it does happen they did to Old Trafford already this season but it's not commonplace um, so yeah perhaps Luton can hang in there and produce something similar to what we saw in midweek
0: Trader, tipster and failed Pep Guardiola impersonator Emmett O'Keefe is with us. Uh, Emmett, as you said would be the case actually in the midweek show, without Rodri, City struggles. That seems to be the big narrative at the moment. He's an amazing player, arguably the best in his position in the world. But is it a big worry for City that they're so reliant on one player in midfield? Yeah, it's it's
2: definitely a concern. It might be that I think we probably that kind of again, one of the around City consistently under the Guardiola tenure has been that they're kind of injury proof, and that kind of uh, 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 all players just part of the machine. Like we've seen seasons where Kevin De Bruyne has been out for close the whole season, and they still and they've still dominated the top Tyler Ice. Again, I firmly believe, like in, you said, if, if, if last season if Erling Haaland had gone down, I think they would have gone close to that points total with Julian Alvarez playing as the nine. Whereas, but i just it's just with... With Rodri, it's all about in terms of the value you, are, you have a, a player to a squad. It's not just about how good you are; it's about how, how good the replacement is. And clearly, Pep Guardiola doesn't have that much confidence in Calvin Phillips. I he might turn out to be a very good player, but I don't think you're. Mad. I don't. I don't think Rico Lewis is is a kind of a top level Premier League midfielder at the moment. I think he's being. I think kind he of,
0: will be. I think he will be. Yeah, I
2: think he probably will be too. But it's it, it, it's, it's just like he's being. Again, okay, it reminds me a little bit of Liverpool last year because because of their weaknesses in midfield, they could have had to over-promote Harvey Elliott and Curtis John yeah. and, and playing them but they kind of weren't really ready. I think you want Elliott playing. Sorry, you want um Regan playing into the lesser sides I and mean, be coming on giving you could give me twenty minutes in games rather than kind of a starter against like John McGinn and, and a really really strong Villa midfield. Um, so I think as well, I guess they, they obviously. Um, Grealish and Roger Ritz suspension during the week but it is just noticeable if you looked at the the, the, kind of the subs that came on during the week it was Oscar Bob Kovacic and Matias Nunez that's not quite the all-star cast that that City have had to come on the bench Like Guardiola in general isn't generally makes less substitutes than kind of the, the most Premier League managers but even still the, 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 when he has made substitutes, substitutes there's usually been like players like Phil it's been fo- like Foden and, and, and other players like that coming on so just at the moment with, with the few injuries they have the bench isn't quite as strong and just if, if if City were to suffer maybe another injury or two in that attacking area like they, they might not actually have, have, have the squad depth to, to cope I think this was something that we kind of talked about pre-season that like like Matias Nunez was signed as a replacement for Elkai Gundogan and he may turn to be as good as that but at the moment you couldn't really trust that he, 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 he'll produce to, 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 the, to the level kind of Gundogan has so it's uh, and like yeah like last year the City's success was built on that bedrock of Gundogan De Bruyne and Rodri Gundogan's gone De Bruyne's been gone for most of the season and Rodri's missed key games so it's just that that kind of that that solid foundation in which they built their success just hasn't really been there, right? and that's certainly the biggest reason why City has struggled. Despite kind of Luton being very competitive against both Arsenal and Liverpool this season, they have been quite lucky in both those games by the numbers. So even if they do create a goal, I can still see kind of City getting you know, a comfortable win. And City's kind of City's kind of next five fixtures are Palace, Brentford. Everton uh, and, and Sheffield United as well as, as, well as playing as well as playing Huddersfield in the FA Cup, so I'd expect after those five games, City to probably win all five, and kind of they not be much talk of so It'll be closer title race, but just I think it's just probably City probably a little bit more fragile than than, than we thought pre season, and I think know that'll be interesting, interesting to see if they make any moves in January to kind of address that.
0: And last but not least, Odds Compiler and tips to Mark Stinchcom. Stinch, as Mark mentioned, you successfully gave Luton a two-goal start against Arsenal. Is that the way you would go here?
3: Um, I don't really want to. A, because it's Manchester City and they're the best team in the world. And B, it's hot off the back of Luton having to obviously play against Arsenal. So yeah. you one I know I know they had an extra day's rest, but you wonder how much is is left in in the tank and as man I say Man City best team and as they're being the best team they are one of the most efficient and yeah maybe that's something that Luton and Ray would take advantage of against Arsenal from from those set pieces. I just thought it was quite ironic considering City's poor bench I think it's I think it's okay to say that um, the fact that Gabriel Jesus scored who was obviously sold this week uh, Cole Palmer also scored this week who was also sold yeah like I think back to the days when Man City first came to the fore in terms of being one of the best teams in the league they had four quality strikers you know they had uh, Zeko Aguero Tevez Balotelli Negredo they had you know always had at least had four quality depth, strikers yeah yeah I mean Emmett rightly says if something happens to, to Haaland yes there's Alvarez uh, to play up front but then who plays instead of Alvarez is, is it Oscar Bob you know is, is that what happens um, so there, there seems to have been I'm not sure if it's got anything to do with the the finances but it does seem to be a bit of a breakdown in terms of of squad depth um so uh, yeah i think it's it's really intriguing and i think it's great that it seems like we might have a three-way title race and rather than man city having to just keep an eye on arsenal's results or in previous seasons keep an eye on liverpool's results now they've got two teams and how will they handle that pressure um so yeah I'm, i'm not i'm not sure how how um, how to approach uh, the game against Luton in terms of a, a betting angle. Um, I'd say I wouldn't bet the Luton angle because of how much they'd had to give out against uh, Arsenal and, yeah, the fact that the game went into the 96th minute and it's still competitive. It's not like they could rest in, in the final minutes. But I think it's just worth noting that's the beauty of you know having... Um, not being entirely data led, trying to to look at games in individually and in terms of uh, in terms of fixture list. Um, but uh, yeah, poor Luton, right, having to play uh, <laughs> Arsenal and Man City back hell of a week, but yeah, but good results for them um, with the fact that Burnley lost and the, and the fact that Sheffield United lost, despite running Liverpool very close. So again, still uh, giving Luton a fighter's chance of uh, maybe um, maybe surviving the season.
0: Now, we know injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they've ruined your bet. So you've now got 90-minute payout to rescue you if the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands. Your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus be Let's take it to Spain. Atletico Madrid, incredibly strong at home. They've been winning games for months now uh, at the Metropolitano. They've got Almeria. Mate, this should be fairly straightforward for the host, shouldn't it?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I can. I can even just give the tip and just say oh, Albury are useless. The end. Like they're they're kind of <laughs> They're one of the only. I think one of the only teams in Europe not to win a lead match this season. They've drawn four and and, and lost their other eleven matches again, in previous years, I'd have been very reluctant to get involved with Atletico Madrid in the kind of handicapped markets. But as we've kind of outlined on previous podcasts, this isn't previous Atletico Madrid teams. Their goal scoring stats are, are very similar to kind of Real Madrid and Girona having, kind of having played a game less, and they're playing against Slammery. So like when they've stepped up a class this season against the better, better Spanish League opposition, they, 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 they've been comfortably defeated. They lost five two at Girona, 3-0 three three at Bilbao, and then their other kind of two and then their kind of two home games against Madrid and Sociedad. They lost by two goal margin also. So I think I think it, it, it makes sense to look at Atletico in the Asian handicap minus one seventy five. So that's that's a half win if Atletico win by two goals, and a full win if Atletico win by three goals. I'm I'm prepared to trust them here against what is
0: probably the worst opposition um, Atletico face all season. Believe it or not, Atletico Madrid are fun these days, really good to watch. Uh, Mark, you wanted to include that game as part of a double, did you not?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, Sunday I thought was was quite a hard uh, fixture slate for finding sort of eye catching value, but I'm going to pair Atletico Madrid to beat Almeria alongside over one and a half goals in a double with uh, Rijeka. Of Croatia to beat Slaven Belupo, uh, including over one and a half goals. It gives us a, a twenty-one to twenty shot two point zero five. Um, you know, no much, more, not much more to say about Atleti. They are on a, a club record winning streak at uh, at home in yeah. I think it's sixteen successive wins now in the league, um, going back to last season. Eighteen if you include the Champions League as well. So, uh, and as you guys have said, they're scoring freely. Uh, Almeria have shipped multiple goals in twelve of fifteen in La Liga this season, winless. Dumped out the Copa del Rey in midweek by fourth-tier opposition, and they've conceded at least twice in nine of ten matches against the top 12. So it'd be a, a big surprise if they didn't do similar at Atletico. And in terms of Rijeka, they're involved in a basically a three-way title race in Croatia. Um, they are unbeaten since August. Uh, their only league losses all season came against the, the fellow big three, Haiduk Split and Dynamo Zagreb. Um, at home, they've won six of eight unbeaten games. They scored twice or more on all six occasions, averaging two and a half goals. Uh, and Balupo, uh, they've only won three of the last 11. They failed to score in five of the last six. The one just once away from home all season, they've considered twice or more in six of eight away, and that includes three-nil reverses at Haiduk and Dynamo. So, um, you know, if you include home fixtures, uh, Balupo have lost all five against the top three without scoring as well. So uh, Rika should be able to to win that game comfortably.
0: Let's head to Germany and one of the most exciting games of the season so far. You wouldn't have thought it necessarily going into the season. Stuttgart against Leverkusen, a battle between two of the top three in Germany. Stuttgart have been very, very good at home. Leverkusen have been excellent everywhere so far this season.
3: Stinch, this is an absolute belter, isn't it? Yeah, I think it should be something really, really exciting and Two surprise packages in a way, you know, Leverkusen, albeit they are obviously a top team in Germany, but they're meant to sit behind Leipzig and Dortmund and not interrupt that battle for second. Yeah, well, Top four was t- their ambition going into the season. Nobody thought they'd be top at this stage. Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, they finished the season really strongly. Uh, Xabi Alonso came in around about October time and had a sort of an indifferent start. Um, I remember a couple of decent wins followed by, um, some, some, some big losses, but, um, you know, he, he, he. You, you see the way he plays football on the pitch. It's so obvious. He's got that football brain that will that will be conducive to to long-term success. It looks like he's a Real Madrid manager in waiting. Uh, to to be yes. honest, um, I think that will be his next destination. Um, but in Stuttgart, you know, they were four faves to go down. Um and I was I was very keen on that being mad madly wrong. I think they were the biggest underachievers last season in terms of expected points. So I was very happy that they were they weren't going to be in a relegation battle. But no way would I have predicted they'd be they'd be title challengers. I mean that's what they are at the moment. I mean they've they've got the most expected points a season in the Bundesliga. That is a significant statement after uh what the the amount of games what we're in you know we're in we're in the middle of december that is yeah, yeah. that is ridiculously impressive um and that's without um having jurassic for a period uh, he missed a few games with a with an injury so really really impressive um what they've been able to do and yeah the the match odds suggest it's going to be very tight game stuttgart 3.0 versus leverkusen's 2.3 um But I I just thought, well, I don't want to try and guess who wins because both have just been almost imperious. So I just want to focus on goals I think and I was just really surprised to see over 2.5 goals at at 1 to 2 I know that people might think that sounds a bit sure but we're talking Bundesliga here you look at other fixtures this weekend Hoffenheim v Bochum 4 to 9 Frankfurt v Bayern 4 to 11 Um, Dortmund v Leipzig 4 to 11 I don't think Dortmund v Leipzig is necessarily going to be that goal heavy I think I think unders might be a bit of a shrewder bet there but I've uh, been there done that bought the t-shirt seen six goals when tried to back under (laughs) (laughs) 2.5 really scarred again. you didn't it that yes. game <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing that again anytime soon um so yeah uh over over 2.5 goals is is uh, one to two and both teams to score is two to five so if you go down our sort of usual route of over 2.5 and both teams to score um decide to chuck a first half goal in there as well um we get odds of 1.76 and i think that's quite backable you know i think if I was forced to, I probably would take the a goal line of like 3.25. Um, obviously, we'd only get full payout there if there's four goals. So I'm happy to kind of chance this angle and get paid out if they hopefully get paid out. If there's only three goals and, and no clean sheets and and obviously a first half goal. Um, both sides, as I say, deservedly sit in the top three based on expected points. Uh, both are top three for shots. They're averaging over 16 per game. Um Top three for shots on target, over seven on average. They both take them in group positions. They're both top three for shots in the penalty area, averaging 11 shots per game in the penalty area, which is very impressive. And normally they're they're both generating nearly 2.5 expected goals for per game. Um, I just think it's really, really, really impressive, both teams. Um, 77% of Stuttgart's games have gone over 2.5. 92% 92% for Leverkusen. Just think this is going to be a really fantastic watch on Sunday afternoon. Uh, let's take it to Frank. Uh, can I ask your
1: opinion um both of you actually because I was looking this game in depth trying to find something to to support and the price was stood out to me. I know all the attention is on Gerasi for Stuttgart but Dennis Undav yes, is 9 to 5 to score here. Yeah. Um, Garassi's yeah. 11 to 10, to 10. Undav's 9 to 5. He's got 8 goals in his first 10 appearances. But what's quite interesting, I think, I don't know if you've seen this, it's basically split almost equally between right foot, left foot, and his head, those eight goals. He scored in five goals in his last five. And he's had at least three shots in all five of those fixtures as well when he started. So I thought that was a big, big price if, if it's going to be a goal-heavy game as we expect.
0: Yeah, and I think what's significant about that is that Sebastian Hearnes, the coach of Stuttgart, said very recently, actually, that he's quite happy to pair them. It was one or the other for most of the season, but in the last couple of weeks, he's been happy to start both of them. That's exactly what he did against Werder Bremen. Last weekend in the league, they both scored. Uh, he did it in the cup as well. Both looked dangerous. girassi scored the opening goal. Undav had a header saved in the first half. So yeah, those two have been working very well. And if you're you know, you can get easily distracted by Girassi because he scores all the time. But Rundav, very, very dangerous indeed. I'm just going to take it to France uh, because Clermont faced Lille. Uh, Mark, one of the most bizarre grounds. I very much enjoy uh, Clermont's home ground. It looks like it's not actually a football stadium. Uh, they've got Lille. What have you got for this one?
1: Uh, Yeah, Claremont are are dreadful. Um, I would be astonished if they stayed up this season. Um, They've done well to survive relegation and and steer clear. Well, actually, they finished in the top half last season, which is a minor miracle, really, because they are a team who play on the margins. Uh, But it seems like Variance has very much caught up with them this season. Uh, They've been very disappointing, kind of gone into their shell a little bit and the vibrant side of last season and perhaps the the campaign before just looks rather dour, rather impotent in front of goal. They scored only nine goals in 14 Ligue 1 matches, which is comfortably the worst. They've been especially poor against the the better teams in Ligue 1, just one point from nine against sides outside of the bottom eight, uh, and that came miraculously against PSG when they held PSG to a nil-nil draw despite having a bombardment of efforts at their goal and PSG racking up an XG tally well over three Um, but yeah if you look at the XG figures when hosting top six opposition Clermont have allowed at least two expected goals in all four fixtures Uh, and in those four games they have faced 43 shots in the box and 33 shots on target so um, I think it could be a bombardment here Lille are understandably odds on favourites they are fourth they're unbeaten since September they have the second best defence in the division Uh, they're unbeaten in eight in that Time they've been away to Lyon and won 2 nil. You know, that's <laughs> not saying too much no. considering the, the state <laughs> they are in. But they did hold Marseille 0 0 in the Velodrome and they did hold Long's 1 1 away as well and beaten La Havre 2 0 away. So they've got pedigree for going away and getting results. They've kept six clean sheets in the last eight and they've scored in all eight of those matches too. So obviously the odds on doesn't make a huge amount of appeal. But pair it with under three and a half goals and the price leaps to six to four, 2.5, which is much more palatable, much more appealing. You're basically backing the one nil, 2-0, 3-0 or the 2-1 correct scores. Of the 28 combined games involving these two teams, 24 uh, have seen under three and a half goals. I think all of Lille's wins have come alongside under three and a half goals and all of Clermont's defeats by one have featured under three and a half goals as well. So it feels like a nice fit for what should be an away win. And finally, Stinch, you wanted to take a look at
0: Spurs against Newcastle.
3: Yeah, it's the the battle of the injuries, isn't it? I think the two teams with the the worst injuries in in the Premier League Um, were speaking uh, ahead of Thursday night's matches, so some things may change in the meantime. But I was surprised at Spurs' odds of 2.44 and Newcastle at 2.82, given the the similar level Level of ability plus Spurs' home advantage. So I was looking at Spurs plus zero around about 1.87. So Spurs draw no bet. I just think if uh, you factor in Newcastle's run of games recently Man United home, PSG away, Chelsea home I just think it's going to take the toll given the injuries. You look at them yeah. away at PSG and Newcastle, they didn't make any substitutions. Um, and like mentally, that was a tough one to take with that very. Debatable uh, penalty decision in, in the last second. And we saw before the international break, they, they had a similar run of tough games. They played Dortmund, Wolves, Man United and Arsenal in 10 days. And then I think it caught up with them because they lost 2-0 at both Dortmund and then Bournemouth. And they've also lost Nick Pope now, you look at Nick Pope's post-shot expected goals across his career in the Premier League. He's posting a figure of plus 9.3, which is very, very impressive. You get some goalkeepers that they'll be happy with around about the zero mark. Um, and that's that's normal um, to kind of put that figure in context. Allison's uh, career Premier League post-shot XG is incredible. It's plus 20. You compare it with <laughs> Edison, who's probably the second best goalkeeper, we would say in the Premier League, if not level with Allison from the from the eye test. Edison is actually minus three point two. So for Nick Pope to be plus nine point three to sit in between those two just shows how bigger bigger influence he is as a goalkeeper. So I think he he could be a huge miss for Newcastle. Um, in comparison, Vicario in goal for Spurs, he's rated the third best goalkeeper on that metric this season. So that could make a difference in in a game of perhaps more small margins and you actually look Newcastle away from home in the league and Champions League this season other than that victory at Sheffield United they haven't won a game drawn four lost four so there's only one win in nine so if they don't win here the worst that would happen would you get you would get your money back so yeah I just think Newcastle a bit short based on all the information
0: well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. So please do remember to gamble responsibly. We're going to have another Champions League show coming up ahead of the final match day. Some really intriguing games in that, so make sure you join us for that. Remember, all of our shows are now on YouTube. They're on Betfair's new channel for non-racing content, so make sure you like and subscribe. You can also send your questions in to us for our new mailbag feature, which is going to be coming up very soon. If you got a question for the guys about maybe just tipping in general or a specific uh, game, then let us know from Stinch, from Mark, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now.